Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're in for a treat today. Uh, we're going to ask our elders to come forward if they would uh, come up here. Ronnie White is with us, as we've announced for several weeks now, uh, to be our interim preaching minister uh, for the rest of this year. And God has blessed us by bringing him here. Some of you know uh, Ronnie and his wife, Marcia, and love them and respect them. Some of you know him by reputation or by hearing him. But we are blessed that God has brought him here to be with us for this period of time. I won't read the uh, introduction here. Let me just say that uh, more important than any of, the, any of the bio stuff is that he's a wonderful man of God who loves the Lord, who loves his word, and who is gifted at sharing it in a way where it comes alive. And we're grateful that he's here. Ronnie, would you come? And we're going to have our elders uh, surround you in prayer this morning as you begin this ministry. Let us pray. Father, what a great day this is. It's great to be together as your family and your people. But it's great to spend time as a family. As we deal with life. And we're thankful for this morning that Ronnie's with us. And we pray that you would um, give him boldness to preach the things that we need to hear. We thank you for the gifts and the talents that you've given him. And I pray now, Father, that you will be opening our hearts for the things that he has to say over the next several months as he spends time with us. And I pray, Father, that you will use him in a way that um, even though he's using his talents, that we hear you and your word through him. May you bless him. May you bless he and Marcia and their family. You may you bless them as they minister. And may Christ be lifted up. And it's through him that we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Oh man, you did that a lot better in that early service. They were asleep. They were sound asleep. I'm so glad you're here this morning, and for those of you that are guests, uh, let me say if you'd like to join hands with a church that is trying to be a blessing to their community, I'd hope you'd consider being a part of Greenville Oaks. And there's information in the bulletin about how you might go about that, but uh, man, I found this place to be already greatly encouraging. Gotten a chance to know your staff. I know that you already know your staff and assistants are great, great people. Well, most all of them, except for Greg Pertle. He's kind of iffy, but <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. I, I told the first service, I hope any, all the teens, you'll be sure and pass that on to Greg as you get opportunity, that I've taken the first shot, the first shot over the bow, and I'm sure he'll, he'll return the favor next week or the week after. But I'm sure glad you're here, and uh, I'm grateful to the elders that I have a chance to be with you for the next few months. Uh, my wife, Marcia, and I are thrilled to be with you. Uh, Marcia had a little... Uh, rotator cuff surgery about three weeks ago, but uh, she's doing well, and uh, I'm her hairdresser, so just think about that for a minute. 
hope you have your Bibles, smartphones, Bibles on them, whatever. I hope you'll open them to Luke 5. Luke 5. We're going to start reading at verse 1 of Luke 5. If you're not familiar with your Bible, start in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 5, verse 1. When you got it, say, got it. Not there yet? Say, wait. All right, everybody's there. Okay. I am not a fisherman. My dad was, but I I never got hooked, pardon the pun. I I just have never been a fisherman. In fact, I tell people who invite me on occasion to go fishing, listen, not only when we go fishing do I not catch fish, but the people I go with don't catch fish. I'm telling you, I have been with some of the best bass fishermen in the state of Texas, and they didn't even get a hit when they went with me. But I had this friend in Oklahoma who insisted to take me bass fishing, striping, striper fishing down at uh, Lake Texoma. And so he picked me up middle of the night, and we drove down to Lake Texoma, and he had a guide, and we got in a boat. We went out on the, on the lake, and it was in the middle of the summer, and it was stinking hot, and I baked all day in that boat. About 2 o'clock... We've been sitting there since daylight, and nobody's caught fish. The guide says, well, this is highly unusual. We, we always catch fish. I, I was going, yeah, I, I know, I know. And I turned to Paul, the friend that had taken me. I said, Paul, listen, we want to sit out here the rest of the day, or we want to go back and get the air conditioner. He said, okay. So the guide starts the boat and heads it back toward the dock, and he's got that thing going wide open across that lake. I mean, the day was, there wasn't a breath of wind. It was like glass, and we were just cutting across that lake, heading back in, and all of a sudden, this guide shuts that boat down, just, and and he says, throw there, throw right there, and so we started throwing our topwater lures out there, and this is no fisherman's story because I'm not a fisherman. For the next 20 minutes, you couldn't get your lure back without a striper on it. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. We filled the bottom of the boat in 20 minutes with, with stripers. I, I thought, now this is why people go fishing. <laughs> it was the most amazing fishing trip I've ever seen. Now, they only bit for 20 minutes, and then they were gone. But, boy, that 20 minutes was fun. Now, the fishing trip we're going to read about this, this morning is even more amazing than the one that I experienced on Lake Texoma so many years ago. And I want you to join with me as we read this story together. One day as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, it's called by several names, Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, all referring to the same body of water. As he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret with people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, if you can imagine, the crowds are are pressing up against him, and he's trying to find opportunity for something that he might be able to speak the Word of God more comfortably. He sees a boat right there. He jumps into it. It's the boat that Simon Peter owns, and he kind of pushes away from the land a little bit, and the boat becomes his pulpit. The Bible says that he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Listen, 
In our culture, when it's time for someone to speak, generally, speakers get up on their feet to speak. But in Jesus' culture, whenever a rabbi was going to give you his official teaching, he would sit down. It was the posture that the rabbi took when he was going to teach. He sat in the boat, and the boat becomes his pulpit. A natural amphitheater there, the, the, the sound bouncing off the water, Jesus begins to teach them. The Bible says when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Church, I love the way Jesus intersects with people in their point of life. If Peter had been a golfer, Jesus would have said, let's go play nine. If he'd been a tennis player, he'd have said, let's go hit for a while. If he'd have been a truck driver, he'd have said, let's go for a drive. If he'd have been a a CEO of some company, he'd said, let's do lunch. But he was a, a fisherman, and so Jesus says to him, let's go out for a catch. Now, that was also going to be a little different for Simon Peter. If you're familiar with your Bible and you read the Gospels very carefully, you're going to note that Simon Peter never catches fish unless he's coached by Jesus. And so Jesus says to him, let's go and let down the nets for a catch. Well, that was going to be unusual. It's a reminder to us, folks, we need to intersect with people in their point of life. We don't need to say, you come where we are. What we need to do is go where they are and intersect with them at their point of comfort, their point of life. That's what Jesus did. Simon's response is a tired one. There are a lot of people here this morning that can relate with this next one. Because you know what it feels like to be tired. You are bone tired. Tired of work and, and chasing all over the Metroplex and traffic and, and ball games and practices and recitals. And you're just, you, you can never seem to catch up. Here's what Simon Peter says. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You ever feel like you just work your heart out and work your fingers to the bone and you never get anywhere? Peter says, Master, we worked hard all night. Hadn't caught anything. We got nothing to show for our work. Nothing. But I want you to hear this next phrase. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, putting stars beside it, circle it, you do with this next phrase because here's what he says. But because You say so. I'll let the the nets down. Brother, sister, I hope that becomes your motto for life. Because you say so. Lord, I don't understand this first fruits giving. We've always kind of given whatever's left over. But Lord, because you say so, I'll give you the first fruits of all I am and all I have. Lord, I understand this, this approach to purity that, that the world seems to be ignoring. I mean, they seem to be going in every other direction except the pure choice. But because you say so, Lord, I'll choose purity. 
Lord, it seems everywhere I turn, guys are taking shortcuts. And they're misrepresenting things in order to get the business. And it seems like I'm falling behind. But Lord, because you say so, I'll choose the way of integrity. And I'll do what's right. And I'll speak the truth. And I'll make no promises I can't keep. I hope you become a because you say so kind of person. Because that's what Simon Peter did. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. You can almost imagine, here's Peter and Andrew They're in the boat with Jesus, and as they start pulling on that net, suddenly the net starts working alive with fish caught in the net. And as they try to pull it into the boat, they can't pull it. It's so heavy. And so they signal to John and James, the sons of Zebedee, who are in the other boat, and the partners of Peter and Andrew come over, and the four of them together start trying to pull those fish in the boat, and it fills so those those two boats so full of fish, the Bible says they start to sink. They'd never seen a catch like that. When Simon saw this, now listen, this is not Simon's first contact with Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus had been at Simon Peter's home and had healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. Remember that story? But at this point, Simon is just watching and listening and learning and, and contemplating. And finally, in this fishing experience, he realizes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I've noticed that the first response that people have when they realize they're in the presence of God is their own sense of unworthiness to be there. And Simon Peter falls on his knees in the midst of all those shiny, greasy, smelly fish. And he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Lord, I don't even have, I don't even deserve to be in your presence because of the sin of my life. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now listen, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Do you know what God's most common command to his people is throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments? You know what it is? What is it? Don't Be afraid. He says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Literally, the word is rescue men. Simon, from this day forward, you and I are going to be about the business of rescuing men together. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything. Everything. And followed him. Marsh and I have some friends that now live in Midland. His name is Mark. Her name is Denise. Years ago, he was in graduate school at Texas A&M studying Spanish. His dream in life 
was to get a couple of graduate degrees from Texas A&M and go teach Spanish in a college or university somewhere in the United States. His wife, Denise, was an RN, is an RN, and she was working in a hospital there in College Station. Their life was just pretty groovy, pretty laid out for them. He was going to be a college professor and teach Spanish. She and RN going to work in hospital. Until one day, a guy they had met at church, who was a Ph.D. toxicologist from A&M, who came to them one day and said, we have discovered there isn't a vibrant church anywhere in the capital of Chile. And there are a bunch of us from A&M that are going to move to Santiago, Chile and plant a vibrant church there. And we want to know if you'll go and help us. Well, he knew some Spanish. She didn't. And neither one of them knew anything about planting a church. But they raised their hand and said, we'll help. And they sold just about everything they had and loaded up what little they had left and they moved to Santiago, Chile and they spent 10 years of their lives sharing Jesus with the people they came to love with all their hearts. Both their children were born down there in Santiago. If you were to visit with Mark and Denise Dean and you were to ask them, what did you learn in that whole experience? Mark would look you right in the eye and say, I have no idea how different my life would be apart from this experience. But here's what I learned. If you will trust God, He can do just about anything. I love what Anne Lamont wrote. She said, The Gulf Stream can pass through a straw if the straw is aligned with the Gulf Stream. And what she was saying is, God can do amazing things in and through people who will align themselves with God. Greenville Oaks, listen. God wants and can do amazing things here. We'll align ourselves with Him. And what He can do and accomplish in us can be amazing. Now, I thought my first Sunday here, I would have just one point. No three points in a poem, just one point. And if you don't mind writing it in your Bible, write it down. Here's the point. You ready? Jesus still shops the clearance racks. You say, what? Well, hang with me a minute. Every Jewish boy, when he was little, was taken by his parents that he might study under the rabbi in his community or rabbis. The rabbis were the most revered and respected and educated men in the whole community. Everyone revered them. And they would take their little Jewish boys to these rabbis and they would begin teaching them 
the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't have a copy of the Bible they could take home with them. And so they would memorize the Torah over the course of whether five or six when they're taken for the first time. By the time they're 10 or 11, those boys had memorized the Torah. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy committed to memory by the time they're 10 or 11 years old. If the rabbi saw something really special in some of those boys, they would be invited by the rabbi to continue. And over the next several years, the rabbi would continue to teach them the rest of what we know as the Old Testament. And they would commit that to memory by the time they're 15, 16 years old. They have the whole Old Testament committed to memory. And if the rabbi saw one or two very special young men that he felt in his heart had the ability to become like him, he would invite him to sit down and he would start quizzing them about what he felt about the law and about this situation. And if the, if the young student had the same perspective as he did and the rabbi thought he had the potential to become like him, then the rabbi would ask this young man to follow him and he would become a part of his Talmudim, it's called. Say the word Talmudim. Talmudim. Now you can speak Hebrew. Talmudim. It is a word that describes a band, a discipleship group. And these, these boys, when they were invited by the rabbi to become a part of their Talmudim, they would leave everything. They'd leave their families. They'd leave their jobs, their business. They'd leave everything in order to follow their rabbi. It was a, there was a statement that was made about them that they thought it an honor to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. That rabbi would walk all over the dusty roads of Palestine and his little band of followers would be walking right along behind him, watching, imitating, copying, trying to be like him. But if in that group of kids he didn't see the ones who had the potential to be like him, they were sent back home to learn the family business. They didn't make the cut. They didn't make the traveling squad. So they went back home to work in the family business. When Jesus shows up in Luke chapter 5 and he calls these guys to be his first disciples, do you know who these guys are? These are the guys that didn't make the cut. These are the guys who'd been sent home. These are the guys that had been passed over. They hadn't been chosen, they hadn't been picked. And Jesus comes to these guys, the clearance rack material. And he says to them, I choose you. Everybody else has passed over you. Nobody else chose you, but I choose you. Later he would say to them, you didn't choose me, but I what? I chose you. Because he saw something in them that nobody else saw. You know what clearance racks are. You go in a retail store and there are the clearance racks. That means that they couldn't sell them. All season long, they couldn't sell them. 
And so at the end of the season, they will mark them down way down. I mean down to 75, 80% off. They, they think maybe if we can almost give it away, maybe we can sell this stuff. Clearance rack. Every once in a while on the clearance rack, you'll find a garment that has on the tag slightly irregular from experience. Let me encourage you. You need to try that garment on. If it says slightly irregular, chances are it's not slightly irregular. I tried on a pair of pants one time off a clearance rack that says slightly irregular, and when I put them on, the left leg was four inches longer than the right. And then it hit me. We're all slightly irregular, aren't we? We're all clearance rack material, aren't we? And Jesus comes and he says, I see something in you that you might not even see yourself. I see a potential in you you don't even recognize in your own life. But if you'll come and follow me, we'll rescue men together. You come and be with me. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And I'll show you how we together can rescue men. You see, he believes in you. The question is, do you believe in him? Say, man, preacher, I don't know about that deal. I, you, you, man, slightly irregular doesn't begin to describe my life. I sat down last night and made, down, made a little list. These are some of the people that God chose to rock their world. This, this is just a partial list. You could, you could make the list twice as long, but here, here's the list. Moses was a murderer. Abraham was too old. David was an adulterer. Solomon was way too rich. Naomi was too poor. Jonah ran from God. Timothy had stomach trouble. Rahab was a harlot. Gideon doubted. Elijah was depressed and afraid. Martha worried too much. Noah got drunk. Paul killed people and voted against others to be killed. And John the Baptist was just plain weird. (laughs) And yet God chose these and a whole list of others to change and rock their world. Listen, listen. He sees things in you you don't even see in yourself. And he comes to you this morning and he says, Listen, come be with me for a while. We'll rescue men together. As far as I know, folks, that's what we're supposed to be about. Church said? Yeah, that's kind of weak. Church said? I think that's what we're supposed to be about. Our kids at Golf Course Road, our teenagers at Golf Course Road, used to go every summer to a thing. It was called Youth Wave. Youth Wave. It was down in Austin. In Youth Wave, uh, our kids from Golf Course Road, the kids from Glenwood and Tyler, and uh, but several other congregations would meet up down in Austin at a hotel. 
And the first day they would spend, and they would train them in how to tell their story in two or three minutes and how God had intersected their lives and how their life was different because of Jesus. And they would write it, and they would memorize it, and they would role play that first day so that they could tell their story in two to three minutes. Then the next day, second day in Austin, they would go to one of the malls, and their job was to go and share their faith with someone in the mall. Go find somebody walking down the mall and say, Hey, can I tell you a story? And over the next two or three minutes, they would tell their story and how God had intersected their lives and how Jesus had made a difference in their lives. This one 15-year-old girl one summer was just scared to death. She said, I just can't do that. They would come back every night and everybody would share their stories of who they talked to and what the response was and, and, and how they felt about it. And they would get better and better as the week went on. Well, the 15-year-old, she just couldn't make herself do it. She would sit there every night and listen to people talk about their experiences and she had no experiences to tell because she was so terrified. But she said, I'm going to do this before I leave and go back home. I'm going to do this if it kills me. Last day, last day at the mall, she sees this young woman sitting on a bench and she says, this is the only chance I'm going to have. I'm going for it. And she goes over and sits down next to this young woman and she says, may I tell you a story? She said, I'm only doing this because I have to. But would you just listen for a couple of minutes as I tell you a story? And the young woman looked at her and said, Why, sure, sweetheart. And she started talking and telling her about her story and how God had changed her life and how Jesus had made life meaningful. And about halfway through the story, big old tears, alligator tears, start running down this young woman's face. And the 15-year-old is kind of taken by it. And she says, I'm sorry, did did I say something wrong? And she said, oh, no, sweetheart. She said, I have been asked to marry the love of my life. She says, but I have been a dancer in a gentleman's club for the last several years, and I know my life needs to change. And I was sitting here on this bench pleading with God to send me somebody to show me how I can do life differently. And God sent me you. Long story short, that young woman surrendered her life to Jesus Christ and is a faithful member of the family of God this morning because a 15-year-old screwed up the courage to touch the live wire of God. Listen, God can do amazing things through people who will align themselves with his will. He believes in you. Do you believe him? Because this morning the call is still the same. Come and be with me. Come follow me. We'll rescue men together. And that's what this congregation at Greenville Oaks is going to be about. Joining hands and going out in fellowship of the one who gave his life for us and rescuing men together. Church said? Let's pray together. God, would you forgive us for being afraid? Would you forgive us for finding every excuse under the sun for not doing what you've asked us to do? 
You got this morning, I pray you'll speak to the hearts of all of us who are here. Every single one of us within the sound of my voice this morning, speak to us, God. Help us understand we don't have to be afraid. That wherever we go, we go with you. And I pray that you'll make it our desire to be a because you say so kind of person. And that our greatest honor is to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, our savior, our Lord, our master, even Jesus. God, I pray you'll help us to get busy about the business of joining him in rescuing men together. God, I pray you'll start with me. And we pray this prayer in the name of the one who saved us, Jesus. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen.